0: Let's dive into improving our state of being. All right, my friends, we are back with COVID-19 from the front lines, this time with oncologist Dr. Mary Jennifer Markham. She was on episode 62, so you're welcome to go back to that to get her backstory and more information on her. This time we're diving right into her experience with the oncology field and how COVID-19 is impacting that. Stay tuned for more from the front lines, but enjoy Dr. Mary Jennifer Markham right now. All right. I am so honored and pleased to bring you back, Dr. Mary Jennifer Markham, to the Minding Wellness podcast. This time, instead of it being a routine episode, we are focusing on the series COVID-19 from the front lines. I'm so honored to have you with us again, Dr. Mary Jennifer Markham.
1: Of course. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. And for those of you who didn't catch her previous episode, it is episode 62. So feel free to go back to that. We won't dive into too much of her background because we've already done that. We really want to dive into sort of the topic at hand. um, Just a brief background for those who didn't get it and and maybe won't get it is she is an oncologist, specifically focusing on gynecological cancers. She has had experience in lymphoma as well, but this episode will be focused around the world of oncology and how COVID-19 has been impacting that and some advice for patients who may be dealing with cancer, either personally or caregivers, so let's go ahead and dive in to what do the data, if we even have any data, because a lot of, for a lot of the cases, we just don't have it yet. But what do the data show, if any, about COVID nineteen in cancer patients?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, it's really limited. There is one study that came out of. Um, out of Asia early on, published in Lancet Oncology in February, I believe, that showed that in uh, China, they looked at a comparison of patients who had uh, a diagnosis of cancer versus no diagnosis of cancer, and they specifically asked the question of which um, group had more severe complications. And when they looked back in this retrospective study, they found that it seemed like patients who had a diagnosis of cancer had about a 3.5 times higher rate of severe complications or significant events related to COVID-19. And those were things like being hospitalized, requiring a ventilator, um, or other mechanical uh, ventilation. Now the the hard part of that study is there were only 18 patients with cancer identified. So very, very small numbers. I think that what we in uh, cancer care have done is though uh, recognize that our patients are likely at higher risk because of the nature of their cancer or of the treatment for their cancer.
0: But that is an important piece of information to share is that we have at least some limited information to suggest that there is a higher risk of complications. And I believe, is it right that that study didn't necessarily show they had a higher, necessarily a higher incidence, but those who did have cancer and did get infected had a higher rate of complications? That's correct. Okay. And so what would a patient, what is sort of your um, understanding of what a patient either early in diagnosis, so prior to treatment with chemotherapy or radiation, or on the flip side, years in remission, you know, years in remission post-treatment be considered, would those people be considered higher risk than the general population, or is it just too unknown to say, and we would take the same precautions?
1: Uh, That's a great question, and I'm not sure we have good answers for it. In my own... um personal opinion, I think that um, having the diagnosis of cancer likely does count as a comorbid condition, meaning a a serious medical condition. And we know that people who have serious medical conditions are at higher risk of having more severe form of COVID-19. Now, those patients who are far out from their treatment and have been told by their oncologist that they are cured or um, are in a very long-term remission, May not be at higher risk, but we don't know. And of course, some people, because of the nature of their type of cancer, such as the blood cancers, leukemia, lymphomas, those folks likely have an altered immune system from the beginning, and so may be at higher risk whether they're on treatment or not.
0: Okay, important um to just kind of note that again, don't know a whole lot, but the assumption would be, and the a conservative approach would be to Treat the preventative measures and the the self care and the self quarantining and et cetera as if we had an active cancer diagnosis or we were in active treatment. What would be yeah. your advice from an oncology perspective for patients with cancer and caregivers for those patients? So obviously we hear a lot from the media about social distancing and washing your hands. Um, what have you been advising? I'm sure this patient population is you know, certainly a little bit anxious about the risk that they have now. Um, What's sort of your advice for both the patients and the caregivers?
1: So I do think it probably serves us all best to presume that we each have the virus already and protect other people um, and ourselves in light of that that presumption. Now, Clearly, that's not true. However, if we presume we have it, then we're more likely to stay at home and to reduce the risk of of spreading it, right? So um, I have been advising my patients to stay at home as much as possible. Um, We are currently in Florida, not under a shelter-in-place order, but it is very prudent to not... Be around people when you um, have a cancer diagnosis or otherwise, and that includes the caregiver of the patient who does have cancer. I think where it gets tricky are those people who have they're actively in treatment, and so um, a question that I'm commonly asked is, "Well, if I'm uh, if I'm due for chemotherapy or if I'm due for my immune therapy treatment or radiation treatment, should I go to my appointment?" And that's a little harder. Um, I. Think it's really important to have a conversation with your oncologist about either the risks of skipping a treatment or delaying treatment versus the risks of coming in for treatment. Um, in many cases, and as you know, when you have cancer, that is sort of, uh, not sort of, it is an emergent medical condition and does come with a risk if it's not treated. On the same, uh, same, uh, side of that, um, having COVID or increasing the risk of exposure to COVID also comes with risk. And there's not an easy answer. So I've been advising my patients that if they're on treatment, we need to have a conversation first before they come in. If it's a new patient with a new diagnosis, and we know that treatment might be curative and uh, is really the only way to get a good outcome, then I think it may be important to proceed as long as everybody is Well, aware of the risks of moving forward.
0: Really important points. I do appreciate the concept of just acting as if we all have it because I think if we were able to really embody that as a potential that we, any of us could, we may take different approaches to our social activity. And um, certainly we have to keep these people in mind. So for those of us who maybe aren't necessarily right now dealing with cancer for ourselves or somebody that we're taking care of, we are certainly interacting with those people possibly if we are out and about. So keeping that in mind is super important. And I was going to ask you, which I think you've kind of already answered, but that is if you've encountered any instances where due to COVID-19 decisions may be made regarding withholding or modifying chemo. So you're taking those on an individual basis and kind of weighing risks and benefits.
1: Yeah. So it's, uh, there's not a lot, unfortunately, there's not a lot of guidance for how to handle Uh, treating people with cancer, and that can go from anywhere from surgery to chemotherapy to radiation therapy or otherwise um, in the time of COVID. The National um, uh, Oncology Society, such as American Society of Clinical Oncology, has been providing some guidance for oncologists and other cancer treatment physicians. But really, we, we just, we don't know Um, What we do know is that there was a federal mandate to limit elective procedures. And one of the concerns that I've heard is, well, I have a cancer diagnosis, breast cancer or colon cancer or lung cancer. Does this mean my surgery is going to get canceled? And uh, it should not. Cancer actually has been excluded and it's not elective. I think a cancer surgery, we would all agree, is not an elective procedure. This is not the same thing as a you know, a joint replacement that you maybe have been putting off for a while, and and actually you can put off for a little bit longer, but having a cancerous uh, breast cancer removed or a tumor in the colon um, really does take priority. I think the dilemma will become um, the resources available in the community. If the hospital systems are overwhelmed uh, because people haven't paid attention to keeping a social distance from others, um, that's where we may get into trouble with having things like surgeries, even for cancer, delayed. We're not there. And my hope is that we don't get there. And I think we can all do our part to keep that from happening by staying home.
0: Really important points. I know that a lot of, I, I actually know, personally know people who are waiting to have that initial, you know, mass or whatever it is um, removed. And uh, and I, I think that there is an agreement among medical professionals that that is not considered elective. And I, I agree that we definitely need to to get to the point of prioritizing and that elective kind of terminology and identifier kind of becomes gray. But I think that the majority of people are just in, you know, in agreement that that with cancer, that's not necessarily um, the same as as sort of an an orthopedic uh, knee that has been put off. So really, really good point. Any advice on postponing uh, maybe routine checkup visits? So maybe that's the routine annual mammogram, or maybe it's the routine, you know, post-treatment, maybe remission, checkup, what, what, how are you handling those visits that aren't necessarily acute or super timely?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, a lot of us would agree that, that probably postponing screening tests, like screening mammograms or screening colonoscopy is, um, actually a very good idea right now. It, um, would save some resources, and we can always get back to those later, Uh, for people who have had a diagnosis of cancer and are just in routine follow-up, maybe seeing their doctor every six months or every year, um, I I think there are a variety of options. What I would propose is that that that's a great opportunity to check in with your, your cancer care team and find out if it's feasible to delay or even conduct that visit by telemedicine. Um, I will tell you that I personally have looked through my schedule for the upcoming few weeks and anybody who I think should or can safely delay, I'm recommending that they delay. Um, It's best to keep those folks home where they're safe and not exposed to um, hospital staff and, you know, other people who might be at the hospital uh, who may have COVID and we don't know it, and also to keep people just home and protected in their own personal space. Um, Telemedicine, I think, is going to have more of a role. So there may be a possibility for a patient to have an appointment with their doctor from the comfort of their own living room um, using their laptop or desktop computer or maybe even their smartphone. Um, I know that um, uh, hospital systems are really scrambling to make this functional quickly. Um, There's been some changes at the federal level to allow more doctors to use this for their patients. And so I'm very optimistic that we'll be able to conduct a lot of these routine appointments um, in that way. Unfortunately, if you need treatment or have to have blood work checked uh, to make sure you're doing okay on your treatment, um, those uh, I don't think there's quite a way yet to do those by telemedicine, but it's a constantly changing um, field right now. So what I say today may be outdated next week.
0: Yes, definitely an important point to make. And it is really nice to be in this time of technology where that's an option. Sometimes technology can seem very overwhelming and overburdened, but it does open up some doors for us now that maybe we wouldn't have had years ago. So that's um, definitely an important point to make. Would you say that um, testing for COVID for instance, maybe for oncology patients, would that be deferred to primary care? How are you sort of handling those who may have questionable symptoms, maybe need testing? Um, is that something, like if somebody were to self-triage and um, want to call in with some symptoms, is that primarily going to the oncologist if they are an oncology patient, or is it going to primary care?
1: I think it's probably both. Um, I think if for people who are well otherwise and maybe in a long-term remission uh, from their cancer, going through their primary care doctor makes um, makes complete sense, and um, that's the guidance I've been given as a patient myself. Just you know, for routine visits, if I get ill, I'm to call my primary care doctor. Um, for someone with cancer, though, uh, especially somebody who's on active treatment, I think it's always a good idea to let your oncologist know if you have symptoms that you're concerned about. And part of the reason is we still have to be worried about other illnesses that can happen when you're on chemotherapy, for example, I always want to know when my patients have a fever, and this would be no different. I would want to be part of helping to figure out what's going on in my patient. That being said, I think each county in Florida is doing things a little differently and triaging some of the testing in a little bit different ways. Uh, Here in Alatua County, where we are, Uh, We don't have drive-through testing yet, but I know that that's coming in the state, and so there may be ways to actually have a test performed for people who have symptoms suspicious for COVID without physically going into the doctor's office or to an emergency room
0: super helpful information. And um, really, because sometimes I think it does get confusing if you have multiple doctors, multiple specialties, you know, who's sort of the, the primary contact. And so I think that that was very helpful in outlining that for people. Any sort of parting words on how to support your immune system from the standpoint of maybe somebody who is actively going through treatment and also for anybody who is a caregiver for the active cancer patient of what they can or should do, maybe even dispelling some myths about wearing masks, not wearing masks, Um, maybe just a few parting pieces of advice.
1: Sure. So one of the issues with masks right now is that there are not enough for our healthcare workers who really need to have access to those. Um, There's not any uh, data that wearing a mask when you don't have symptoms protects you from getting it. However, if you are ill, certainly um, wearing a mask when you go in public is important. Um, And most people who are showing up to doctors' offices or to hospitals are being screened in some way. And if they are having symptoms, then we are certainly putting a mask on that patient so that um, we keep others protected. I think when you are... I think during this time right now, it it is so stressful for everyone involved. I think it's really important to stay active and stay connected to your support system, whoever that may be, Um, especially if you are spending more and more time, as you should be, at home, um, figure out how to use technology in order to connect with others. It may be as simple as a phone call to a friend, um, but maybe a Zoom or Um, Instagram live or Facebook live or uh, Google hangouts um, way to connect with friends and family is important, not just for the patient who may be um, at home sort of dealing with a cancer diagnosis, but especially also for the caregiver. This can be uh, being a caregiver is, is a trying experience, Um, and I know it's frequently felt that there's not a lot of support for caregivers. Um, It's um, an area where I think we have a lot of work to do in the medical community anyway, and so this time might even be more trying because you are physically isolated. So be sure to reach out, um, do things that help bring personal connection and centeredness Uh, Consider meditation, yoga, things that you can do by watching a YouTube video or an online class, Um, taking a walk if you live in an area where it's not populated and you have the luxury of walking outside where there's trees and fresh air. Something to just remember why you're doing all this and that it will be over.
0: Such important and helpful advice. Thank you so much. I am a huge proponent of getting out in nature. We it's maybe the one place we don't have to to spray Lysol everywhere. Um, you know, just kind of enjoying um okay. you know, the birds chirping a little bit louder because there's fewer cars going by. And um and I do okay. certainly appreciate and want to emphasize the concept of physical distancing versus social distancing. I think that social distancing is an important concept to have, but that you can still be social utilizing the tools that we have over internet without risking the physical touch. So I so appreciate all of your advice, Dr. Markham. I thank you for your time. And I certainly send you
1: all the love and good
0: vibes out on the front lines.
1: Thank you so much.
0: A huge thank you to Dr. Markham for speaking with me today on the oncology perspective of COVID-19. I highly encourage you to share this if you personally know somebody who is going through active cancer treatment or is an early diagnosis or remission, as I believe these insights will help them and the community at large. Wishing all of those on the front lines a healthy and happy continuation of this week and I will be with you again shortly with more from the front lines.